Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me in Sound of Play 283 is Darren Gargett. Whiffle waffle. we just been whiffling and a waffling. Mm. Didn't say who I was. My name's Leon, but you may have heard this podcast before. Welcome if you haven't. It's a video games music podcast we play some tunes we talk about the tunes and sometimes the games they come from and occasionally get a little sidetracked as well but mainly it's about our love of video game music in this show we got a cracking selection most of which are from darren here and a few of which are from our wonderful community and as usual we've got a nice eclectic mix of genres and eras of tune and we've already heard one a very recent number from a little game you may have heard of called Cyberpunk 2077. Apparently, it's absolutely awesome and has completely lived <laughs> up to the hype. <laughs> I'm being ironic. So the first seven hours of Cyberpunk, for me personally, yeah. were like, oh, there's nothing wrong with this game. Yeah. Like, this is fine. I'm enjoying You're playing this. on Series S, we should say. Series S, that's right. Yeah, not yes. the base Xboxes, which is unfortunate for those who are. But yeah, like yes. act, well, the, the act one for me was just swimming along. There was hardly any problems at all. Yes. And then it, it opens up to, you know, the actual game, so to speak. <laughs> and it all went wrong. How many hours did you say was the late title card game? Like seven hours? Seven hours, hours yeah. Wow. So I played, um, we share, listener, you won't know this, probably. Darren and I have the game share library thing on Xbox. 
So I was the uh, the grateful recipient. I mean, it sounded absolutely amazing <laughs> before the game had come out. Darren's already paid for and, and pre-ordered and bought a code for a digital copy of Cyberpunk 27. So it's like, okay, I don't even have to buy this epic new game from the makers of Witcher 3 anymore based on an old RPG analog, you know, live role-playing type thing that I played back in the 80s and thought was amazing <laughs> and um you know I was I was quite looking forward to this the only downside was that I am currently still on Xbox 1X rather than Xbox Series X because mm. you can't buy those and obviously as everybody knows the PC version is kind of a different beast altogether at the moment hopefully as they fix it and patch it up and add more content and release the Xbox Series update and the PS5 update, we can talk about the game afresh, anew. Hmm. Uh, but right now, I did play the first couple of hours on Xbox One X, and it was very mildly buggy at that stage. Uh, the frame rate was acceptable. It's certainly not the sort of tw sub-20 frames a second that the base Xbox One version is. But the main thing is, I was just it wasn't really making me think wow at any point mm -hmm. it looks kind of rough and unfinished and a lot of the ui stuff is not really there and none of the characters really jumped out at me very early days though i know that a lot of people have said that for all its flaws once the game opens up once you start to get to know the characters once some of the side stories start to kick in there's a game worth playing there Hmm. Is that your is that your experience? But un unfortunately, at the same time as the game gets interesting, it also gets more busted. Yeah, that's right. So I'm about 27 hours in, and I've put it on hold for now because I, th there is an enjoyable game there. Yeah, I just feel like overall, uh, it feels like a watered down Deus Ex oh, and no. Mankind Divided right. or Human Revolution because that game was not as open, right? So it has the opportunity yeah. to be more focused on the missions, mm -hmm. whereas this because there's so many side missions. You feel like, well, maybe if I hacked in through the back or, you know, I'm going mm. guns blazing through the front, for example, it doesn't feel as well-crafted or, or bespoke as the latest Deus Ex game. So in that respect, mm. I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit limp. But there was something kept come, I kept coming back to it. And I yeah. wasn't too sure what it was because the upgrade system for me personally wasn't that great. You get like 2% mm. into hacking the guys quicker and you're like, well, is that great? Like It's all stuff that sounds like it needed another six to 12 months mm. of balancing and development and playtesting, maybe? So, yeah, you know, I, I feel like the, the actual upgrades for me were more interesting when you go and see the, the Ripper Docs, who are the guys who augment your body. So yes. I've got a double jump. I've got a thing that you can fire grenades at your wrist, a bit like Spider-Man, but explosions. I thought, this is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm starting to get into the, the game world more. I think the city is stunning to look at, but when it's not in its proper resolution it looks like you know the net curtains over your tv screen and you're like well i can't see yes. over there despite yeah. me wanting to i feel like the city they've made is like at times it just looks unreal yeah. but i just wish i had the the proper well not the proper version the version that i believe that i should have got on well precisely on, yeah yes. like you know so yeah and it seems uh, like only those very small number of fortunate people who have both got the money and managed to get hold of a one of the latest graphics cards, a, a mm. GeForce 30 series, you know, high-end card, they are getting, at least they are getting the experience which, you know, according to the 
the sort of tech anal- analysts and and those who appreciate high-end PC graphics, you are at least getting, even if you're not getting a truly outstanding new, you know, genre-defining experience, mm. you are getting a very sort of immersive future city kind of thing that will help sell the world. But my, my experience was this, yeah, very kind of fuzzy and underwhelming. You could see there was nice stuff being attempted but none of the lighting was really cutting mm-hmm. it everything just had yeah like it, this is on xbox one x as i say just everything had a kind of a kind of murk to it even turning the film grain off and mm-hmm. and, and the chromatic aberration it was still just just really flat yeah yeah um you know and i feel like even if you had the best graphics card in the world it wouldn't well i can't see it alleviating some of the problems that i saw with the missions there was a side right. mission where you have to you know, put this guy in the, in the boot of a trunk, alive or dead, it doesn't really matter. Well, it depends on your morals, but to me, it didn't really matter. And um, and I was escaping down the road with this character, and it was like Paperboy happened in front of me. Like, trucks were pulling <laughs> out of nowhere, like, like literally loading in front of me and stopping in front of me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is just unbelievable. Like, for a game that's, you know, marketed to the, to the skies and back, you think, well, come on. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have really released it in this state because you can actually see the game loading in front of you um i loaded yeah. the game yesterday just to have a little you know stab at the side missions again just do one or two and uh i loaded in the world and my car i pressed right on the d-pad to call your car like it was a horse in breath of the wild it turns up behind me but it lands inside another car and the other car just <laughs> drives off and i'm like well there yeah. goes my car and i press right we've on seen the a lot of these videos drive off of uh yeah jank and quirk and yeah it's a game that clearly was they absolutely we know we know they absolutely uh crunched it and still didn't get there mm. um and yeah they've kind of issued various uh i don't know apologies is maybe pushing it but yeah. statements anyway that's a sort of a minor yeah that's gonna say what <laughs> that's a little mini review of our experience of cyberpunk so far uh we may feature more music in the future we may even cover the game on the cana rinse podcast someday when it's finished and released but did the soundtrack so we got uh returning again from witcher 3 we got uh marcin shibilovitz i think that's right uh or close apologies to polish listeners uh on the soundtrack uh and you picked a piece called wushu dolls mm. uh so is this where where I've, does it where did you hear this in the game it's the one i've heard the most because it seems to be the one that triggers when you fail being stealthy <laughs> so i'm <laughs> i'm skewing combat towards, kicks in yeah i'm skewing towards stealthy because i'm tr- I, if i'm being completely honest the first 20 hours of this game for me i i treated it like it was a perfect dark game because they, they share a similar kind of vibe you know future dystopia in a city it's not you know the most original idea in the world but i was like you know what i don't really i'm not really getting on with the main character you know he might look like keith flint but he doesn't act like him so i thought oh, whatever you know i made my character like keith flint and um there's, there's some decent characters in there but i thought to myself you know what if it's gonna give me audio vibes from perfect dark which this track doesn't do weirdly yeah, enough, but no. overall, hmm. I thought I'd just treat it like a Perfect Dark game because I know there's one coming. I might as well just pretend that I'm playing Perfect Dark for 20 hours and that lasted for so long before, you know, it all crumbled in front of me. But yeah, this um this track, Wushu Dolls, it's it triggers when you fail at being stealthy, which is, you know, me trying to do Joe Dark, but not. And um yeah, it, I've heard it so many times, but it's really good. It really it manages to lift you up into a combat mode, even to stop you feeling like you've 
failed at the stealth. Like it, you know, it doesn't ultimately matter if you if you unfortunately for the game's role playing game um, vibes and you know mm. gameplay, it doesn't matter if you fail the stealth because you just whip your guns out and you can just take them all down. Yeah, you know, as good as you are, it's it's quite that a competitive. That was another shooter. thing that again, sorry to come back to mm-hmm. mildly ripping on the game, <laughs> semi reviewing it. The gunplay I did uh, play through didn't feel all that interesting or exciting either. It was very perfunctory. I felt again. <sighs> Early game, mm. maybe not fair, but it didn't have a lot of dynamism or pop to it. It was very much yeah. hide behind the thing and shoot the thing, and the guns didn't really sound or feel amazing. But maybe you got more into it than I did. Um, no, it it just works. It's competent, you know. It does a few competent. things. Um, yeah. But the Perfect Dark did do before it was released. Like the character would hold the gun up over, like so in Perfect Dark on the N64 before it came out you could have the ability to hold the guns in front of your face now the game doesn't oh, yeah. allow you to do that but it does do an animation that reminded me of that it's like, oh he keeps moving the gun around and in ways that Perfect Dark was supposed to do on the N64 before they realised that they yeah. you know did too much for the system yeah. so yeah I'm getting a lot of PD vibes out of Cyberpunk and that has mainly in the going. frame rate yeah <laughs> just kidding not on the Series S you're alright no I'm alright on the Series S yeah it hasn't gone down there at all um but this Wushu Dolls is just, it reminds me of Doom Eternal so much. And and you can hear the Mick Gordon vibes in it. Like, we're, we're absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah, and, and that's the reason why I chose it. Because I was like, this just reminds me of playing Doom Eternal. What if I played Doom Eternal? <laughs> and uh, Yeah, <laughs> and I'm playing Doom Eternal again. And uh, yeah, and I was just like, yeah, I really like this track. And it, it does a good job of making you, that was my cat hitting my microphone. Does, <laughs> yeah. It does a really good job of making you... you feel like you haven't failed at the stealth. Good. Well, I'm glad we've, sucked some enjoyment out of and i mean that in a a positive way out of cyberpunk uh hopefully our listeners will have enjoyed wushu dolls as well to open the show as is so often the case on sound of play though our next piece is wildly different and we have sean s thomas from the forum to thank for this one my daughter and i says sean are having a great time blasting through the co-op indie adventure Nights and Bikes. It feels like a wonderfully stylish kids book brought to life with deft humour and original energy. I'm only five chapters in, but also sense it'll have that miraculous Pixar trait of working on a different emotional level to an adult as opposed to playing it as a kid. But the best thing about it is the title theme and the way it appears in the game. After years of orchestral scores and sombre music, it's a joy to hear a lo-fi punk rant blare out.
That was Daniel Pemberton's I Want to Ride My Bike mm. from Nights and Bikes. Now, I believe Editor Jay uh, kickstarted that particular game. Um, but I'm, 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 my curiosity is piqued by uh, our correspondent Sean saying about playing it co-op with a daughter, which is something that I know. Obviously, your daughter is getting towards that age where you can mm. start to think about co-oping stuff together. Is that, yeah. that going to happen? Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, the listeners of the Mario Odyssey show would have heard that we did a bit of Cappy, you know, two-player Cappy. Yes. Um, we seem to be indirectly co-oping in Nintendogs and Cats at the moment, um, to the point where I do the competitions and earn the money, and she spends the money. So that's, that's how that works. <laughs> I, hear, uh, I hear that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's great. I quite like Nintendogs and Cats for the 10 minutes that I play it, and yeah, she's happy to spend the money on the new pets and the new things that come with it. But I'm thinking the re-release of 3D World and Bowser's Fury... I'm hoping that if I put a controller in her hand, she can at least, you know, run alongside me and um, pretend like she's doing well. And have you played Nights and Bikes? No, I downloaded it because it's on Game Pass and then I realised you should really play it with someone who's interested in playing it. So I'm going to wait for that time to happen. But I like that song. It's very, yeah, it's very punkish and I could hear it in the, it, listen to quite a lot of um, mashup DJs who play, you know, from hip hop to reggae to punk to, you know, metal. I could just I could hear one of these that track being slotted in somewhere with a kind of like it's got that kind of edge to it that you put it somewhere in, in the middle of a mix and it it just kind of give you enough pace to keep going if you know what I mean it's a, I could I could use it for running is what I'm trying to say and um, you you ought to or cycling perhaps more appropriately oh well yeah now we have your selection from the inevitable selection I like to think from the rare stable and this is from. A game that I know you, well, you got very excited for and played it a heck of a lot. And you must have heard this number uh, a fair few times during your your time on the ocean of Sea of Thieves. Well, yeah, this is the Battle of the Flaming Fleet by Robin Beanland, right? And um, this one, it's a variation on a theme. You know, you will hear the noises of Sea of Thieves within this track. But this is for the, the new mission type they added to the Order of Souls, which is the skeleton killing lot. But it was actually in the form of a battleship, um, a, you know, like a fleet war on, on the sea with ghost ships. And the trick here is that these ships, that they don't kind of, they can't repair themselves because they're made out of like ectoplasm or whatever the green stuff is that ghosts are made of, you know, that, sure, that green stuff, yeah. gooey stuff. So mm -hmm. if you shoot them, you're guaranteed a hit and they're going to stay broken. But um, there's like, there was like 50 of them and they're swarming around you. And once you've taken down, say, three quarters of them, the captain teleports out of nowhere from the, you know, the, the never realm, so to speak. And oh, yeah. this track just swells up in a way just at the right times for it to feel absolutely like epic. Like I don't usually use that word that much that when it comes to like playing games and music, mm. but like the way they've timed it, it's just like you feel, I felt like I was in a film, you know, I was playing with, um, Forum, Forumites, Forum Friends, Simon Sloth and Nick Suits. And, you know, the, the, I could handle a ship on my own. They were just there for the fun. And I was telling them what to do. And it, it, for a split second there, I just felt like, I just felt like I was the best, you know, like, Simon, get the cannons, Aaron. And then this music is just behind you. And we were all having this cracking laugh. Like, we didn't win the battle, but that didn't matter because mm. it was just all about, like, this ghost ship tearing through the ship. And if you get a ghost ship that goes through your ship, it just decimates it. Like, planks of wood are flying off everywhere. <laughs> and, yeah, we were just all sitting in the sea, just swimming around, just, you know, getting the mermaid back to your new ship. But this, this track behind it all just felt like it was, yeah, some of Beanland's best. 
That was from Sea of Thieves, Robin Beanland's The Battle of the Flaming Fleet. That game's still, of course, available to play on your Xbox One or Series or your PC if you've got Game Pass. I assume oh. you can still just buy the thing as well if you're not yeah. a Game Passy kind of person. Well, 60, uh, 60 frames a second on my Series S on that game. Because mm, that C the, does look lovely. It, it looks even better now. Like, mm. yeah, the upgraded console for me it might only be an S, but it definitely kicks out the um the good stuff. I tell you. Uh, so you're actually playing it probably in slightly lower resolution than yeah. you were on Xbox One X, but right. you've got double the frame rate. Oh, probably. it's lush. Mmm, so, lovely. Uh, and they added a ton of content, didn't they? Um, Still but are, they yeah. never arguably addressed some of the key issues with the game as regards yeah. to the combat being a bit hum- humdrum. Yeah, the the PvP, the actual pirate-on-pirate pirate combat is still, you know, limp at best. It's really kind Shame of that. just, you know, the sword fighting is clunky. The pistols yeah. and the shotguns are just... There's there's something missing there. And, you know, I don't think they're ever going to fix it because... It's know. too baked in and the game's yeah. two, two years two and a half years old now yeah something like that. a bit like yeah. cyberpunk it just it just works it just doesn't really excel in anything you know exciting really apart from the music apart from the music and the shit battles the shit battles are still yeah. you know we were playing the other day on cfes right and um i said to nick like nick mate you need to look after this chest because it cries and it will sink your ship and so what we're doing is we're just chatting oh. about life la 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 turn around the ship's just gone. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, Nick, what happened to the um what happened to the chest, mate? He's Welsh, I'm not gonna try and do a Welsh accent. And it's like, um it's like, Oh, sorry guys, I thought it was my kid crying, so I went upstairs to look after my kid. It wasn't. I came back and the ship had gone underwater. And <laughs> like, Oh brilliant. Okay, well that's uh that's two hours of chest in the sea, but um Why does the chest cry and sink your ship? It's called the chest of sorrows, and whenever it gets a bit too rocky on your ship, it cries and the tears flood your ship. There's another uh, one they added called the Chest of Rage, and if you get too cocky with your ship or near the rocks on that, it gets angrier and then explodes. It's um, I was going to say it goes on fire. Yeah, yes, it's like Jay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we go back in time to a piece that was uh, requested on our forum, canarince.com/forum, just recently, and this was one of those where I don't think I'd heard the piece since I played the game which meant instant nostalgia because Mm. as we all know a lot of the stuff that we listen to over and over and over again over the years whether it's streets of rage soundtrack or whatever the more you play it the less nostalgic it can become sometimes it will really hit you and take you right back but often if you've been listening to something like every few months or more often or infrequently even over decades that rock hard crystallized association with the time and place with which you originally associated it kind of dilutes dissipates Mm. but this i bought this game the magical quest starring mickey mouse for my super nintendo probably a couple of years into having my super nintendo maybe a year and a half so 94 something like that the game is already a couple of years old and i bought the game played played the game completed the game probably traded it in and that was it so hearing this request was just like oh my god i haven't I'd never looked up this soundtrack. I'd never mm. heard it since. So obviously it might not have that same effect for, for the listener, but uh, but hopefully you'll enjoy it as a, as, a, a, as a good old bit of SNES tunage anyway. Code Monkey was uh, the person I have to thank for that nostalgia blast. 
And CodeMonkey says, I recently heard this Mickey Mouse soundtrack again on a top SNES games list and was instantly taken back to a simpler, happier time before being a grown up and everything that has happened in 2020. <laughs> Listening to this is like snuggling up in a nice warm blanket and playing this on a glowing CRT on a lazy winter's Sunday afternoon just brings a big nostalgic smile to my face. The game's not bad too. Mari Yamaguchi, credited, I think, as just Murray on uh, in the way that they often used to do, particularly Capcom in the early 90s. Everyone had a pseudonym. And yeah, that was originally released in 1992 on the Super Famicom before uh, making its way west over the next year or so. Have, have any memories of the Magical Quest trilogy? No, no. The, me and the SNES never really went as far as... Uh, the Disney stuff. I was more of a Mega Drive Disney person mm. or a Master System Disney person, you know. Yeah. That's just the way it went. Yeah. So uh, listeners of our other podcast, Kane and Rince, may recall that we covered Aladdin not so long ago. And we did exactly that, where we covered the Western Mega Drive game and the Capcom uh, Japanese Super Famicom game. It was interesting to compare the... The various styles, uh, the the art styles, the gameplay, the the design choices, where they intersected and where they where they very much parted. And of course, with back then the sound chips being so different, it's not like now the game. If there's one thing that you won't see a comparison of, I don't think there's any like digital foundry style service to compare the audio on <laughs> the PS5 and mm. Xbox Series X versions of games because you know it will be identical. 
the last game I can think of that had a noticeably different soundtrack was actually across two versions. And even then it's quite subtle was the Wii U version of Breath of the Wild compared to the Switch version of Breath of the Wild. The Switch version just has more sound, basically, I think, to to cram it on the disc and to cram it into the memory of the Wii U. They had to make a few uh, sacrifices mm. in terms of audio. Um, but it's one of those things that you might might not even notice uh, otherwise. And I suppose there was, yeah, even, even though uh, they were all playing high-fidelity audio, the last generation we had with perhaps distinctly different music choices was the GameCube compared to the PS2 and Xbox because the GameCube literally didn't have as much room on its discs to put all the <laughs> audio. So some of those soundtracks were actually quite curtailed. Like which Tony York's on the N64. Yes, of course, yeah. With its like three-second loop of um, Rage Against the Machine. You're like, is this song going to start anytime soon? No. <laughs> No, and, and on Wipeout, of course, they actually did compress some full tracks onto the N64 cartridge, didn't they? And that's why the mm. game had kind of loading times. It did have loading times, yeah. I remember playing and thinking, you what, mate? Yeah. Why is there a loading bar? Obviously, it's still loading, but the N64 was good enough at hiding it. So when it didn't, you're like, what? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pour my heart and soul into this console to see a loading bar. Yeah. Was it worth it to have... Uh, Whatever tunes, though, Future Sound of London or probably. Wipeout 64 was okay. Yeah. There was no 2097. Did the job. That game is 2097. Mm. We've still not covered uh, the Wipeout games or series on the podcast. I'm sure that will happen someday. Hmm. Now, we've got two selections in a row from you and from one particular game because it's a game that I think quite a few people have picked up recently simply because it was a reasonably well-received game with a sort of critic score of 80-something percent. Um, and it was a quid on the Switch. <laughs> uh, now, I got, I got a copy when they gave it away for an even less than a quid, literally nothing, on the Epic Game Store. But, I, but I've been saving it up, you know, putting it on the, on the backlog. You're one of the people who bought it for a quid and then dived in immediately. And, and I, I know you're, you're very good for this. You're very thorough. Like, if you buy a game, you tend to concentrate on it play it beat it like that's your that's, that's what i think of when, <laughs> when i think of you and your modus operandi that that tends to be i know sometimes you actually let games go because you're not enjoying them or whatever but mm-hmm. but often you just dive straight in and commit uh and it sounds like from what you've been talking about both uh, from the game point of view and from the audio you've been well rewarded for your one pound investment one pound nine pence, and then with some gold Sorry. coins, it took it to like ninety nine p. Ridiculous, yeah. Um, Horace, the game that's I've seen a lot of talk about, and saying, "Oh, you must play it, you must play it." And then I look at the, you know, I, I shouldn't judge a game by its cover, but I saw the front mm. cover and I saw the robot man, and I'm thinking, this game is not doing much for me aesthetically. You know, yeah. I, I watched a quick look on Giant Bomb, not really appealing to me. You know, you can walk on the ceilings, you can walk on the walls. I was like, yeah, okay, this is this, this fine. And then I, I bought it for a one pound, whatever it was, turned it on, and immediately I was hooked by the story, which is a rarity for me. Like, normally with a story, I'm just like, please, skip can it, we get to the it, bit where you play it. the game? Thank you. But Horace is all kind of... Now, yeah, I'm going to say... It reminds me of Adam Capone in terms of his 
editing right. style of podcast because the way the Horace man talks, it's all a bit weird and stilted, and it's a bit like that, you know. So it's kind of like yeah, I watched a bit. From... I watched a bit of gameplay earlier to kind of get the vibe for it. Yeah, mm. it is. Uh, it's a bit quirky, isn't it? Very quirky to the point where the more it quirks, the more I'm like, yeah, quirk more. And it's like you bought, okay. you bought into the quirk, and the quirk vibed with you. Oh, absolutely. And I don't normally like saying this with games. Because it's like, it gets good at chapter six, which is a couple hours in. But <laughs> yeah. I was already hooked on the first bit. I was like, right, this game's weird enough for me to enjoy. Chapter six happens and I'm like, I'm in. This is it. I'm going, I'm full speed. Every game's being put on hold. Cyberpunk's on hold. That's on hold. I'm just going to focus on Horace now until it's done. And uh, yeah, I just blasted through it. And it just, it, 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 was, it was a joy to play. It was like the equivalent of a page turner, you know, because it's, it's very well chaptered. It's got 22 chapters but it, it doesn't it never feels like you know full of fat it's all there and it's like a 12 hour long game full of story yeah. full of platforming sometimes really hard platforming little bits of you know chap here and there near the end but overall i was just like i the only game i could really compare it to not really but sort of is conquer's bad fur day in that mm. it's a narrative very funny you know for me because comedy is subjective and all that um a platformer and i was just some of the references and some of the jokes this game pulls off i actually just paused and my mouth was just hung open i was like you what you've just done that and, and i haven't had that moment since conquered by fur day where the game went it just went to the edge of the line and went there's the line there i'm not going to mm. step over it but if i do i'll make sure it's nice <laughs> and you're like okay. in a different way to conquer though i assume in it is, is it or is it that sort of very British toilet humour, scatological. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, oh, it's, I, I can't say it about spoiling it, but no, it, it doesn't have a, a giant singing poo, but it does things no. that, you know, you'd get, you get a laugh out of, but it, it does stuff that you'd know even more. I'm smiling just thinking about it because you're British, right? You just think, yeah, this thing happening right now is even funnier because I know what's happened in the world in the last 10, 15 years, you know, because mm. it is, my immediate reaction to this game was it feels like a modern Jet Set Willy because there's all these inanimate objects yeah. that are flying around. And then I read the interview today while I was in jury service and he just said the same thing. Yep, yeah, I was inspired by Jet Set Willy in some hmm. degree, this and that. I was like, oh, I'm glad I got that right. Tick. And then, yeah. yeah, and I was just like, the more I play this, the more it's unraveling in front of me. And it, it feels like it does things because they're fun. It goes, right, I want to do this now. How much work is it going to take? it probably took a lot of work to put this one specific thing in but they did it anyway well i say they he did it anyway paul yeah, hellman, paul hellman. Yeah. because it was funny yeah. and i haven't i haven't laughed at a game this much and i haven't been in sucked into a story this much and i haven't enjoyed a platform game you know this much for a long time and for me horace is up there with but well, not meat boy forever but super meat boy and celeste and Right. Well, for me, not Braid, but, you know, other other games that are good platformers. Mm. And this first of the two pieces we're going to have, the robot's theme. So is this the, the main character, the robot? Yeah, you know, and it is the main theme of the game, but it uses it at certain crescendos of the story to pull on your heartstrings. Mm. And I, I finished it. And then the next day or two, I went out for like a good sort of, you know, my, my 10 mile run that I like to do. And my body's absolutely... Um, pumped and excited to, yeah rah, rah, run yeah ooh, i feel good i put my shower speaker on i had a shower and this came on and i just i nearly started crying in the shower because <laughs> it just it just 
did a thing that it reminded me of the story and it was just like oh that's such a nice thing and yeah and it 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 plays on your emotions you know like a good story should and the 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 sting of this tune absolutely just you know popped this little heartstring i guess So that's the first of two pieces we're going to hear from Paul Hellman's Horace. I think even the the name of the game is possibly a little mm. throwback cheeky reference to the old Horace that a lot of us of a certain age will remember as being a character on uh, particularly on the spectrum, but but on the other eight bits as well. The sort of slightly misshapen blob character with hollow eyes that we associate with uh, sort of. Yeah, he, he had a skiing game and a, mm-hmm. and a Frogger type type game. Uh, as I recall, a lot of my specky owning friends were were well into a bit of Horace. They, it was one of those things where there was a lot of affection for it, but they were also taking the Mickey out of it. Like mm-hmm. Horace is so stupid, and you know whatever. But but they sort of loved him. He looks uh, like a broken Cubert, doesn't he? The original Horace. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a, a yeah a wrong version of Cubert. I am fascinated by Paul Hellman's CV. I'm wondering if this is incomplete <laughs> on Moby Games because it's so odd. I don't know exactly what uh, what's been going on in the world of Paul Hellman between these titles. His first or oldest credit on his Moby Games CV is for Die Hard trilogy <laughs> on yeah. the on the on the Saturn and PS1 in 1996. He was an artist on that. Then. There's an 11-year gap. Now, I wonder if maybe he's one of those developers who ended up, for whatever reason, working on stuff that never got released, which yeah. does happen quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably gainfully employed, but possibly left the industry for a while. Who knows? 
came back with uh, something that I've never heard of in 2007 called Agent Hugo Lemon Twist. Uh, graphics on that. Did some additional art for a version of Pipe Mania in 2008. And then nothing again for 11 more years until Horace in 2019. Uh, I'd love to speak to, to this guy. Hmm. So, And he's come from that you know, slightly odd and sporadic industry background to then make this game from scratch. He does the video, the cinematics, the writing, the programming, the production, the design and the music on on Horace. Mm. And it gets, you know, excellent reviews. Uh, and yeah, what's he been doing? <laughs> it's just I find it so interesting. Maybe he's been making Horace all this time. Yeah, did did you did you get any insight from that interview you said you were reading? Was that very much about Horace? Yeah, it doesn't really go into his history of, you know, what it it mentions Die Hard trilogy basically and some other iguana oh, kind did. of pro okay, entertainment right. stuff, but nothing really. I'm glad to know that's that's actually correct then, because mm. it seemed almost like is it one of those where you sometimes wonder if it's the same a uh, different person with the same name kind of thing? Yeah, no, yeah, it does mention the Die Hard stuff and uh, mm. yeah, nothing else really from what I could tell. Fascinating. Mm, indeed. All right. So the music throughout the game, so you say it's not a short game, really, especially not for a, a, a solo developed yeah, I mean, independent platformer. How, is there a lot of, is there a good amount of music? There's loads of music. Loads it's, of music. A lot of it is, and he mentions this in the, in the interview as well, that he uses a lot of his own versions of classical music from yes. centuries ago. Yes. Because it's free and it fits. It's out of copyright, yeah. Yeah, and it also fits the mood of the game because he is a robot butler man, you know, dressed up in blue like Horace. And um, yeah, mm. um, but the, the original pieces in there, he's named them in such a way that it would kind of give away some of the um, the excitement from experiencing Horace. It's like, you yeah. know, this is called this track. And I thought, oh, I'd like to choose that one, but it kind of ruins the joke of you finding it. And I've chosen this one because this game's got quite a... Um, I wouldn't say elaborate, but more detailed than what I was expecting. Train system that allows you to get around the city. Uh, around really? the cities, yeah. Okay, I saw some of the footage. I saw. I was surprised by the amount of different mini games with totally different mechanics. And stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of hesitant to um, not mention them because yeah, that's part of the fun, isn't it? It's just to go right. Mm. You go into an arcade and you see a bunch of these games, but the yeah, that that's he's made he's bit. made all these from scratch, yeah. and you just think, man. Maybe that those two 11-year gaps in his CV. That's it. He's actually spent 22 years developing Horace. <laughs> and now he's selling it for a quid. Hopefully it's sold a million copies. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, the house theme, right, is the next mm. one I've chosen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, it's, it kind of, this is the main house that the family exists in. And for reasons, you know, linked to the story again. Um, yeah, so you end up getting on a train to these various towns. You find the extra people and you come back to the town. And every time you go into this house, they give you this theme. And depending on what's going on around it, in terms of happy, sad, you know, joyful, whatever, it's all kind of, there's variations on a theme. But this one here is, yeah, another prime example of original Horace music, you know, done right.
That was House Theme by Paul Hellman from Horace by Paul Hellman. 505 Games. That's the one thing that Paul Hellman didn't do is he didn't publish it and distribute it himself. He actually uh, worked with 505 on that. I wonder if it was their decision or his to go for the uh, quid sale on the Switch mm. or even the, the Epic Game Store giveaway. But hopefully he's done well out of both of those decisions. Certainly more people seem to be talking about it since it was a quid on uh, on Switch. I think sometimes you just have to bite the bullet to get noticed, don't you? Mm-hmm. That seems to be the case. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, I'm hopeful if we're all still around and going and doing this thing next year, maybe you'll make Horace your your pick for volume 20, <laughs> uh, 2022, volume 11. No pressure, though, but, uh, but I'd like the excuse to play it. Hmm. Now we have a piece from the arcades of yore back once again to the mid 90s and a piece from a soundtrack. I'm pretty sure we've never featured anything from up until now on Sound of Play. Shadowless Kick from the forum says the Virtua Fighter 3 OST is one of the first I remember importing as a kid. How oh, cool. And some of my favorite tracks were the extra themes found at the end that weren't tied to any particular character or stage as far as I know. Besides having a bizarre title, Blandish Fist, it also has a funky bass drum groove and a wiry alien sounding synth that's easy to get stuck in your head.
Blandish Fist, Extra Stage by the legendary Takanobu Mitsuyoshi. You'll probably know his work if you've listened to this podcast before, but mainly you'll know it if you went to the arcades in the mid-90s and played Daytona. Uh, Blandish Fist, I realise, is actually a, a rather hilarious bit of Japlish, as we used to say. It's the old transposition of the L and R mm. being so similar in Japanese. Uh, that should be Brandish Fist, but it's taken it from something sounding very fighty and confrontational to the complete opposite, really. <laughs> How's his fighting? Well, he's got a Blandish Fist. Blandish Fist. <laughs> Olympus uh, Amazing. Virtual Fighter 3 was at the arcades, of course, from 96, arrived in Team Battle form on the Dreamcast a little later. Uh, perhaps was a slightly underwhelming Dreamcast launch title by that stage. But uh, but yes, there we go. Uh, you can play various versions of Virtua Fighter in various Yakuza games to this day. Now for our penultimate piece in this Sound of Play, we have another request from uh, your online buddy, Simon Sloth from our forum as well, a great supporter of all things Kane and Rinse. Mm. And Simon requests a piece from a VR game saying 2020 was not a good year. I think we can all agree on that. Personally, it's been hard to find respite from the oppressive and relentless negativity in the world we live in. And even video games have been less of an escape when my mind has been so full. I have played a lot of VR recently for many reasons. One of those has been escape the sensory experience and pure immersion has allowed respite from the overwhelming pressure of work. There's always the temptation to check an email or a text when playing conventionally, which makes the whole experience less immersive. So VR has been a godsend. This year I played Paper Beast and I cannot stop thinking about it. As a VR experience, it's unparalleled. It's neither a game nor a tech demo. Forgetting the obvious impracticality, I can almost see it being an art museum installation or a paid-for immersive film experience. I was moved in a way I can barely explain, so I won't. I would prefer anyone with a VR headset and a passing interest in the arts to experience it firsthand. Sadly, the game seems to have barely made a ripple despite the positive critical reception. The piece I've chosen is called First Flight. I'm not ashamed to say I cried during the sequence where you take your first flight. The combination of sight, sound and virtual reality immersion moved me so profoundly that whenever I hear the music, I am overcome. In that moment, there was no hate, no death, just the wind in my face and freedom and love and majesty and hope. Please, I implore you when you listen, put headphones on, close your eyes and soar.
from Paper Beast hmm. by Pixel Reef. The composer was Roly Porter, who I don't think we've featured before. The track was called First Flight, a much needed audio tonic. Remind me, you you are still VR. You're currently VR list, same as me. Is that yeah, right? you know, I've dabbled, but nothing's. You got cardboard VR, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Let's not talk Doesn't about count. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I meant the yeah. That's the Switch one as well, Labo, not the uh, not the mm-hmm. Google cardboard, which was uh, which was a thing for a while. Don't know if it still is. So well, well, uh, that's another sound of play for you. Pretty much, we got one more piece. Uh, so I, Leon, will thank Darren from off of Cana Rinse for joining me and our community contributors and editor Jay as well, of course, without whom there is no sound of play. And talking of your Litlin, mm. and you've been playing this recently, back to a four 3DS launch title. <laughs> uh, I never played this, which was, a, which was odd because I really rather dug Nintendogs, mm. even as a 30-something-year-old man, as it was when I came out. Uh, no, when it came out. Uh, I remember, you know, I, I, it was a pretty basic limited thing, the original Nintendogs, but it was cute. It was fun. Mm. Um, so I, and when they said they were bringing cats in and, you know, I'm at least as much of a cat person as I am a dog person. I thought, well, I've got to get this, but I never did. Uh, what did I miss out on? Uh, you know, it's, um, you, how, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's one of those Nintendo games from the touch generation. It's a sequel to that, you know, it's more of the same. There's not a lot to do, but what you do do is is good fun. You know, speaking of doo-doos, you do pick them up and you put them in bags and uh, yeah, you can get a cat and they play with each other. The game is still heavily skewed towards dogs though, because all the competitions, there's no cats in these competitions. You know what I mean? They'd either sit there and tell you to jog on or they'd run away. But yeah, the dogs are still the stars of the show. And Ivy's got two dogs, Fuzz and fluff and the cat's called fizz <laughs> something like that did she name those or did you name those um i think the first one was ivy second one was in, you know inspired by me and then the third one was ivy yeah she does all right because everything <laughs> when she was younger everything was just called ivy what's that that's called ivy oh sure where'd you get that name from egomaniac <laughs> <laughs> so why have you picked this particular jolly piece for us to close the show on well, you know, Simon Sloth brought us down by reminding us that 2020 was the year of all years to be sad. So this is just like, you know, when we can properly go out for a walk, this is the music that will go in your head. <laughs> you know, when you can properly walk next to someone without being like, I need to stand so far away from them. Like in Nintendo, they don't do that. They have they say hello and they shake hands and stuff like the good old days. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we should say uh, 2020 was obviously uh, yeah horrendous year. But unfortunately, at the time of recording and at the time of this show going out, uh, we are still very much in the thick of it. And, yeah. and I know most of our listeners in uh, are in the UK and in the US where the situation is dire in both and also in quite a few places across Europe. So, yes, the next few months are still going to be pretty horrendous and dark and bleak. And we're all just hoping that uh, with full vaccination rollout and nature taking its course by maybe by midsummer or late summer world will be somewhat back to normal but until then we've got to look after each other and and your dog us, and your dog and your cat and your whatever cat. you've got and your children oh, if yeah. you if you go oh yeah and those uh and our podcasts are just a little way of us hoping to do a bit of that 
good stuff as well. So, yeah, please enjoy this silly tune. Thanks to Asuka Hayazaki for composing such jolly music uh, from the 3DS game Nintendogs Plus Cats. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play.